Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with speaker, trainer, coach, and podcast host, Vicki Knopfling. She is originally from Pittsburgh and has spent 40 years in the corporate world before retiring in 2018. She spent the last 17 years of that as a project manager for large-scale, multi-year programs. Volunteering is a huge part of her life, and one reward of that was being selected as one of the 1996 Olympic Torch Relay Runners. Now in retirement, she is busier than ever helping the next generation generation feel comfortable telling their stories enjoy this interview nice to meet you you as well you got a lot going on in your life i do i do (laughs) retirement is so much fun (laughs) right you know i retirement actually kind of frightens me a little bit you know yeah it's i guess all the way you look at it i mean actually i'm having a good time well, right. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, is that, you know, some people's idea of retirement is I'm done. I'm sitting on the couch all day. I'm out. But for me, like I'm already a busybody. but we've been trained our whole life to go, go, go. Yeah. yeah. And then it's That's, like, all- I, 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 yeah, I just took two years of sitting around and having okay. fun. And, and that was it. I was like, no, I can't do this. Back at it. So, yeah. So my husband, he golfs. <laughs> all right. Well, there you go. Okay. So yeah. it's like, well, you do you and I'm going to do me. So. Yeah, we all have our lane, you know? Yeah, um, exactly. So before we dive into this myriad of what you do with your life, I want to begin with COVID. <laughs> the last three years worked on all of us in its own specific way. How did you survive it and how has it changed the way that you do things now? So the way that I survived it was um, is really the inspiration for what I'm doing today. Yeah. I was during COVID, I was um, appointed a region advisor for Toastmasters. And I had a district in California. So the first, just before COVID started in 2019, I was flying to California and um, visiting with one each of my five districts, coaching them, counseling them, training them, and uh, talking them off ledges and things like that. And then March hit and we had to pivot. And it was interesting when I was meeting them in person, I, in Los Angeles area, especially is one of, one of my areas that I had and they complained about traffic. Well, I'm in Atlanta traffic (laughs) and they complained about density and, and, you know, we're very, um, I can understand that because we have areas that are very dense. And so they said, you know, we can't get people because they can't make meetings and they can't get there on time. And I, and we can't coach people. We can't train people. And so I said, well, you should just do it hybridly, you know, have some of the, the meetings just be recorded as you're, or, or live streamed as you're doing them. <gasps> oh God, no. We could never do that. You can't connect with people (laughs) online. You can't really train people. You have to be in person. You can't teach them to be great speakers online. And I had been doing it with my um, corporate family of of clubs and people and uh, for years. I mean, I was a project manager at UPS and I had people, teams around the world that I couldn't bring in you know, from a budget perspective. And I had to be able to motivate them and train them and and to get them inspired using this format. And, you know, you'll probably remember this, you know, when Zoom and everything started, it was just a name on the screen. 
you rarely saw a person's face. Yeah. And especially, you know, when I was dealing with people in Asia, I needed to see that you weren't just saying yes, yes, yes. And your eyes are like, what the heck is she right. talking about? You right, know? Right. And so all of a sudden in March of 2019, it was like, oh my God, you're a genius. Because <laughs> people started coming because we were so lonely and we needed that connection. And it was so comforting to see a person's face and their smile. And all of a sudden the impact of tone and pausing and, and being able to really connect to the camera, to that little circle really showed us how to be better at what we do and it was so impactful and after two years of that i thought wow this is this is really something and then in my local area i was involved with the church quite heavily in the board and i had all these people that were older than me that i knew were alone And so I started doing sort of like a podcast and having coffee with these ladies over, you know, Zoom. And it was so helpful for them to hear somebody and share their stories and forget that they were locked in. Yeah. And so that alone told me that this is where I'm going to spend the rest of my life is, is doing this and helping people be able to connect. And uh, so uh, 2021 was a year of absolutely yes to anything that came my way that would be able to help that cause. So I did four compilation books. I did um, created my podcast. I started to get mentors to help me to grow as a business leader. And, um, and I started to thrive. And so that's, that's what I did with COVID. (laughs) Have a look back. Yeah. So let's get to the essence of what we see on paper, which is all of these things that you do. And let's kind of simplify it a little bit. I'm going to put you in front of a bunch of grade school kids, career day, third grader looks up and says, Hey, what do you do for a living? How do you answer them? So I actually do work with kids. Oh, there you go. I do. I, I do. Um, since 2011, I've been working with nine to 17 year olds okay. to teach them how to have their voice. And so what I talk to them about is the fact that they spend so much time like this and they don't know how to connect. And so we talk about how impactful it is to be able to look someone in the eye confidently and tell them what you need, what you want. And everything you do, every aspect of our life requires us to speak in some way. And anyone that wants to find any success needs to have a voice. And so I talk to them about, I kind of give them a little mom guilt. And I said, you know, I have two grand boys that are four and seven. And you right now will become the leaders of the country whenever they're adults. And I don't want the country messed up. So I'm going to teach you how to lead with integrity and to be have your voice heard. 
so many times you go, you know, as kids go into school, they, they just get, I guess, um, traumatized in, in this environment that they should be excited and wonderful, but then they have to do a presentation or a talk or uh, get in front of the class and just answer a question and they don't know how to do it well. They're scattered or they are timid or they, it's always interesting when I go into the schools and you, you get in this classroom of 35 kids and you can tell the ones that might be rambunctious or whatnot. And then you get that same person who, you know, outside would be the, the person that's talking the loudest and having everybody follow them. And, and they're so quiet. It's like, so you have to gain trust of these kids. But when you see them light up, when they realize that somebody is actually listening to them for four minutes, listening well enough to tell them what they did well and how they could improve, it is amazing how their stature changes. And these are the kids that will remember this with every interview they have, with every presentation they do in life. And that's what I want them to remember. I don't want them to remember somebody laughing at them or a teacher telling them they weren't good enough because they didn't memorize word for word what was on that piece of paper. I teach them how to have conversations rather than speeches. It's so vital. So what a great service. What did you want to be when you were in the third grade? What was your dream? <laughs> so interestingly, in third grade, I did want to be a teacher. Yeah. And I have um, three or two sisters and four brothers. And um, so teaching was out of the question. I didn't go to college, actually, until I was 47. And uh, so through life, I just was really, because I knew I wasn't going to go to college, I got really involved in self-development and the cassette tapes and all those things, cassette tapes that take you back that far. Yeah, yeah. And so um, I thought, okay, so all through life, there have been these opportunities for me to teach. And then as a project manager, I had to teach new younger project managers, as well as anytime I did a project, I had to teach. And so it just naturally came that I'm a teacher, a trainer, <laughs> and a coach. And that was what I thought I would be when I was in third grade. But it doesn't look the same as I imagined it to be. Yeah. There's no chalkboard in front of me. Yeah. Sometimes there's a whiteboard. <laughs> right. But it's it's the same idea. You're living the dream that you had growing up. So mm -hmm. I'm curious. Let's go back. Are you from Pittsburgh originally? I am. The home of Mary Lou Williams. You know that, right? Mary Lou Williams, yes. But Good. also also the home of the, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Of course. <laughs> and when I was a kid, I got a quick Steelers story. Anytime uh -huh. I talk to someone from Pittsburgh. When I was a kid, I picked a, there was a Monday night football game on and my brother and I, we had to pick the team. He picked the Oilers, yeah. I picked the Steelers. So I became a fan. So I had a sweatsuit that I used to wear. And I had one of those like the outsiders moments when I was a kid. The patch was coming off a little bit. There was a girl I had a crush on. I ripped the patch off and I gave it to her. And years later, I I caught up with her on Facebook 
she still has it. She like kept it. I mean, she was out of my league. There was no chance, but I gave it to her. And I'm <laughs> like, she probably threw it away. But she still had it after all these years at Pittsburgh Steelers patch. So it that's was cool. awesome. Yeah. yeah, we're diehard fans. It's funny. I moved to Georgia and um, in 1986. And so Georgia's teams were not doing so well. Yeah. And, and so I just continued to remain a, a fan i do love the Braves, but um i'm a you Pittsburgh gotta, fan. yeah no no no. i hear you yeah yeah you got it so what were the seeds that were put in you in childhood that made you make the, you know public speaking and getting over this big fear and and being who you are as a teacher how did that start how were those seeds planted in you so I recently had to reflect on the same thing. And I think what it was, was partly my background of being from a large family. So in a large family, you don't always have to talk. There's plenty of stuff going on. And I had a very, uh, a personality, older sister, just a year older than me. Um, and since we were just 13 months apart, uh, my mom kind of treated us like twins, which my sister hated. And so it, it was always that um, thing of, you know, I, I, all, I guess, imposter syndrome started way back then, you know, as, well, I guess I'm just not as good as she is because she seemed smarter. She was very talented sports-wise and things than I wasn't. And, and I was more of the thinker, the observer, and listener. And all of those things actually have helped me as a speaker because, and as a coach, because I, I do let people talk and, um, and sit back and listen because I remember how it was when I was that invisible person in the room that, you know, there were always people smarter than me and always people um, more captivating than me. And so I just was happy with that, that they just allowed me to be in their presence and, and went on. And then as time went on, I found, especially being getting into management, where most of those people that were my mentors were men. And their way of managing was so different than what I felt in my gut I wanted to do. And every time I tried to do me, they were like, well, no, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. And, and then it just came to a time where in my 40s, I said, you know what? I don't think I'm ever going to get to the top. Nobody's going to do anything for me. And all through my life, I've been promoted. Even without a degree, I was promoted. But to get to that, that manager level, that place where I could start to impact um, I didn't think that they would ever let me get through that that ceiling. So I thought, what the hell? I'm just going to do me and and be happy, you know, enjoy my days at, at work. And so as I did me and started to, for me, it was, I, I know how I feel whenever people, uh, my managers share insights with me or take time to listen to me or know about my family and and. And so the more I did that, the more people would do things for me. And all of a sudden, those same people that weren't promoting me were saying, well, talk to this group because we want to do this and you can seem to get them to do it. And um, 
So I just started to do that. And, and that's why now I just teach that you lead with your heart, your head and your hands, that you first have to, to reach them in that emotional piece. And then you get to strategically use your intelligence to help them to understand why we're doing what we're doing. And then I always teach that you've got to be a servant leader. So what has been the best public speech that you've ever witnessed? I think it, it's really, there's so many it's, it has to be any speech that touches me emotionally. And, and sometimes that, oh gosh, the person that got me to actually start Toastmasters at UPS and got me to want to be a better speaker was our CIO at the time. And uh, Frank Erbrick was his name. And every time he talked, it was, it included humor. It, it was the roller coaster ride that I talk about all the time when I'm coaching people is that you have to set up the situation, take them into that first chapter of the book that you want to grab the person and have them so into it that they have to get to chapter two. They can't wait to get to chapter two. And then chapter two kind of tugs at their heart and has some drama. And then, and then you think, oh my gosh, how could that be? But all through it, I'm seeing me. I'm seeing my pain or my anxiety, or I'm feeling the anxiety of the person that they're talking about. And then something great happens, or there's a, a moral to the story. And so that roller coaster ride holds you through the whole thing. And Frank was a master at that, got you to that point. But, you know, there's all kinds of famous people that speak out there. Um, but it, it's just those are the kind of people. And, and, you know, even I've had some of my kids, I do a, a speech contest. And uh, some of these kids come up with stories about their lives at 9, 10, or 13 years old. And there's some tough things going on, you know, families being deported or bullying. And it truly makes you want to help yeah. and, um, and change their lives. And the fact that they're trusting you enough to be vulnerable, to tell their story, those are, those are the kind of speeches that, that really impact me, obviously, and um, make me do what I do. The most magnanimous thing I've ever witnessed in my life was a speech that Bill Clinton gave at the Harry S. Truman Library here in Kansas City. It was unreal. Like the minute the doors open and he came in, he took a command that I've never seen my entire life. I, I probably will never witness anything like that. It was, and it was like you said, it was a roller coaster. It went up and down, yeah. and there was so much logic that went into it, and so much charisma. I mean, a level of charisma that I just. Oh, yeah. Oh. He he has that he has that gift. Man. And the thing the thing that it's interesting about that is that too often times speakers do want to come in and educate you, inform you. But really they don't understand that they also need to entertain you. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and, I, and 
And that's a key, I think, to being successful as a speaker. You know, it's interesting. One of the, you know, being a jazz radio, one of the most dynamic performances that I've ever witnessed is Marilyn May. And uh-huh. I, I saw her about three or four years ago. My producer of my show has a show called The Neon Beat. It's the American Songbook. You know, oh. Rat Pack and Marilyn May and all of them. And Marilyn's yeah. one of his favorites. So we went and saw her. And she still comes from that old world where she really talks to the audience, gets people laughing, piano players playing. There's this whole bedside manner. There's this vibe that's just old world from like almost like a Vegas show. And it's just it's something that's going to go away because it comes from that greatest generation, so to speak. And uh, but anyways, yeah, it's 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 not just delivering the song because you paid for it. It's I'm going to be up here and I'm going to do everything I can with everything I have to entertain you in every way. And uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think it doesn't have to go away. You know, I, yeah. part of part of what I teach too is that um, a speech is really a song. And, you know, you can be listening in the radio. You don't see their vocal uh, expression, their vocal variety or their facial expressions, but you can feel it in the way that they are singing. They, their use of their pauses. And, you know, they do take a song does a good song does take you on that roller coaster ride, mm-hmm. how it builds um, uh, Mr. Holland's opus. If you remember that movie yeah. way back, uh, one of one of the projects I did with my team, we had this um, contest to ha- come up with the be- best solution. And I had nine people all administrative working for me. And uh, they I was creating a database for barcoding. <laughs> How boring can you be, right? But it was so needed because it was the the cuspus of um, UPS being able to have barcoding on their labels, right? And so we needed to collect the data. And I needed these people to be all in on this so that we could turn it around quickly. And I took them to see Mr. Holland's opus. And that song became the background of our presentation because it just builds and builds and builds and takes you on that ride. And so that's what you need to do whenever you speak. You need to be able to be that conductor that has the audience just just coming in with each of those different tones and strengths and softness that your voice can provide. So what's been one of the best success stories you've been involved with, with the client? Oh, I recently had um, a, a person that when I first met her, and this was a student, which a lot of my successes are students now. You know, I, I've worked with a lot of adults. I, I, I could give a lot of things with the adults, but the student... She was a single um, or only child, and she was trying to get into a, a prep school and had to be interviewed. And the first time I met her was on Zoom, and she didn't look at the camera at all. She kind of just talked down the whole time in this quiet voice, and her mom is sitting on the couch behind me uh, or behind her. And so I um, thought, oh, my God. I have to get this person to be able to answer. I had all of these questions I was going to prep her with what she could do, you know, and help prep her on her answers. And I thought, 
she is not going to get anywhere. And so I said, okay, we have to meet in person. So we met somewhere. And unfortunately, it was a crowded open area that all of her friends were hanging out at. So that didn't work. But we started to make breakthrough there because I stopped talking about what our goal was and just started to ask her, they were going to be going on a trip. It was around Christmas time. And so they were going to be going to New York to visit family. So I just had her start telling me what she was going to do in New York Mm -hmm. and stopped making it about a lesson and just having a conversation so we could build a relationship and trust. And then the next time we met, I said, okay, mom's out, (laughs) sit in your car. I don't care where. (laughs) And I got a private room in a library where it was just the two of us. And it was just chatting across the table. And um, all of a sudden, as I was asking her about what she was going to be doing, she mentioned that she was going to be in a play. I'm thinking this quiet, mousy kind of person is going to be in a play. (laughs) And she was going not for like a single role. I mean, a a simple role, but she was going for like the second lead. (laughs) So talk to me about that. And so all of a sudden, it was what she loved. And so passion came out and enthusiasm came out. And after 10 minutes, I said, this is the person that needs to come to the interview. And how you feel right now is how you should feel every moment of that interview. You need to just bring it and know that you are awesome and you are great. And she got into the school. So that was wonderful but it was so different drastic just that you know 30 minutes that we spent together that her mom is going to work with me now (laughs) yeah but but it's it's just that that we so often worry about what we're going to say and what the person is going to think about and if we're going to be rejected or downplayed that we tend to not be ourselves and and you know I don't want people to wait like I did until they're 40 to say, you know, I don't care anymore. I'm just going to be me. Yeah. You know, I want you to be you right now. So speaking of you, everyone has a perception of you, family, friends, clients, colleagues, but you live your life. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? Uh, I think that I am a pretty heart centered person who does things generally more to please others than I need to. I know that. Um, But I get so much joy in seeing people grow and develop and have a good time that I end up having a good time because they're having a good time. It's crazy. But I I just think that um, for me, my role in life is, as I see it, is to try to be that connector. And I find the most joy in finding people's solutions to things that they, problems that they might have. And that's why I started this business. I just think that for me to be happy, I have to be busy, but I also have the great capacity. I think again, from being in a large family to be really okay with time where I'm all by myself and 
have quiet. And a lot of people are uncomfortable with quiet. But, you know, one of the things I teach my grandkids is we're going to lay on the grass and we're going to look at the clouds and we're going to just do nothing but look at the clouds and think about what we're seeing and laugh about what we see and things. To be able to find joy in simple things is what I love. And that's what I want for others, you know. So I think that our world is very, very busy and I'm a very, very busy person. But I know when I need to shut down, and I do. So if anyone wants to hire you, learn more about you, anything pertaining to your world, where can they go? Just go to my website, which is www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com. Excellent. schedule time with me. Excellent. Vicki, this has been great. I really appreciate you taking time out today. I appreciate your story. Best of luck with everything. Thanks so much. It was great, Joe. Love talking with you. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, business, spirituality, music, and more from around the globe. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and until next time. Mm-hmm.